This is episode number two seventy one. How do you use your voice with Scott Mason and Casey Berman? Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming conversation this Friday, which is part of our weekly series called Survive to Thrive, Live the Story You Create. What this is, is a series of conversations that take place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, hosted through LinkedIn Live and Facebook Live, where we explore the connection between one's inner narrative and the topics of appreciation, resilience, grief, and many other topics. If this is of interest to you, please consider joining us through either the platforms, LinkedIn Live or Facebook Live, where you'll be able to ask questions and share your insights as it relates to each and every single one of the topics that we choose to explore. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life or has helped you see your world through a different lens, please consider supporting our work by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Great to be in the room with three former lawyers. I definitely uh, felt like I was part of a group. <laughs> you were part of a you were a lawyer in a past life. You can tell us about that, Ole. I object. <laughs> <laughs> now I I'm grateful that we were able to share that space yesterday, and and Richard was just uh, exceptional as far as the insights that he brought. So I just want to you know thank him, thank you, Casey, and and you, Scott, for being a part of that. But I, I'm really excited for this conversation because this is something that I've been trying to understand just from my own personal perspective. And that is how do you use your voice? And in particular, as it relates to how do you use your voice when it comes to amplifying another person's voice or limiting another person's voice? And how do you really tell the difference? Because I think at least I'll I'll speak from my perspective. I can't speak on behalf of we because I'm not we. I'm just myself. But what I will say is this, is that there have been many times and probably still are where I operate in both of those spaces where I'm amplifying someone else's voice, but there are also times when I limit someone else's voice. And I think the key thing that I've been trying to understand is how do I gain that awareness where I'm doing one or I'm doing the other or something in between. And so I'm curious to hear, and maybe this is the way we can kick off this conversation between the three of us, as well as Jessica and Jess Sanchez, who has joined us as well. And that is when you think about the initial question of how do you use your voice? What comes to your mind? Which which former lawyer would like to start first? I want to ask a clarifying (laughs) question though, because this could go a number of ways. And 
be candid. Mm-hmm. You can use your voice to amplify, restrict, or to refine and provide support in this case. And that mm-hmm. is when you say voice, are you talking about the physical thing that comes out of our mouths when we talk? Or are you talking about our voice as a presence in the world? The expression that we might have leaving aside the actual physical instrument. Well, initially I was thinking the first one, but you've actually helped me see a perspective that I haven't seen. So it could also be the second one. Well, I'm going to go with intent and then we can, I'm sure, expand a little bit later. Thank you Mm -hmm. for that. I thought that's what you meant. But as you were talking, I realized that I might be using my voice to cover up an intent that you had that had nothing to do with my own agenda. And that ain't right. Jess and Jessica, hello. And Jessica, thank you for sending the link. And I've got to say, Casey Berman was on my podcast this week as well. He was awesome. Now, the instrument that I have to talk with my voice, I've been told, can be kind of loud. But good news about that is that if I want to throw my perspective out in the world, if I want to be heard, I know how to do it. But the downside of that is it can be used as an instrument of domination and of hurt. I have no problem, if I so choose, to talk over people. My voice is loud enough that very and strong enough that most people simply can't fight back against it if I'm really in that mode. The downside of it is exemplified by a story I'm about to share. I was going through a period at a prior job where I was interviewing tons and tons and tons of people with a team. And there was a certain man that came into an interview with a toupee on his head. And how did I know it was a toupee? Because that thing was less real than a tribble that was thrown into the trash at the end of a Star Trek episode. I'm sorry, it wasn't even passable. And In my extreme lack of maturity, after the interview was over and he walked off, I made a joke with the door closed saying, yeah, I'm not having anyone who's working for me facing the public wearing a hat like that on their head, referring to their referring to their toupee. And my boss, who was in the room, said, Scott, people can hear everything that you say out the door, down the hallway. And the man hadn't walked away yet. And what I said was obnoxious and really not very nice anyway. Dorothy, how are you, homegirl? But so leaving aside whether I should have cracked that joke or not, I would argue that I really should not have. Even if it was acceptable behind closed doors, Mm -hmm. due to my voice, I shut someone else down or at least had the potential to do that. Anytime that you use your voice in a way that could poke at someone's vulnerability, make them feel hurt or shame them, you're not using it to amplify, you're using it to cut them down. He presumably was wearing a toupee because he felt an insecurity about his hair. And so by making a crack about it, especially one with a voice that was loud, I actually, it's its hard to conclude that I did anything but hurt this person as presumably he heard what I had to say. The power of the voice is one that should not be 
diminished. One needs to only look to people like Aretha Franklin or Michael Jackson to see the true power, Luciano Pavarotti, to see the power of a voice. But when abused or wielded carelessly, it can be a thing of tragedy. How do you develop the personal awareness around that, Scott? In that case, if it wasn't someone else telling you specifically that, hey, Scott, you shouldn't say certain things, how do you personally or how have you developed that sense of awareness when you know that whatever it is that you're saying and how you're presenting yourself, you're either putting someone else down or you're uplifting them? I think a big step when it comes to the instrument itself has been developing and being honest with myself about the fact that I don't know everything. I don't know everything about a lot of things, but sometimes it can be difficult to accept that we don't necessarily know anything about our core physical characteristics. I do not hear the voice in my head as loud at all. I have been told, merely speaking in a normal voice, people can hear me clear across on the other side of an office building. If I speak slightly loud, people hear it as yelling. I've never once in my career actually yelled at work, but people have experienced me as yelling because my voice is that loud. I don't hear it that way. I don't hear myself right now as having anything other than a moderate volume. And so learning that sometimes if everyone in the whole world is telling you something about yourself, maybe it's true. And being humble and accepting that has begun to give me the ability to modulate it and use it in a way that's constructive. Mm. Casey? Yeah, so I look at it two ways, and and Scott broke it out as what do we mean by voice? And the first thing is the the vibrations that come out of your mouth and that we use to express ourselves uh, via, you know, auditorily, right? The second definition, which I'll get into both, is is not the voice, but it's the the intention, the feelings, the emotions, the the voice of the customer the voice of the population, the voice of the constituent, right? When that word, that phrase is used, we're not saying necessarily that you want to hear what they have to say. What we're saying, representative democracy, it's more of this is what they're thinking. This is what they're feeling. These are their aspirations. This is what they want. So with the first one, how do you use your voice? I think you use your voice and I use it in many different ways. There's some issue in society where we need to be one person. We need to be consistent. That to me is very inflexible and that's too rigid. I'm one way with my parents. I'm one way with, with my buddies from high school, which I won't, can't share here. Uh, (laughs) Another way with my kids. I'm another way with my wife and that's okay. Now someone would say, well, you're inconsistent. You're all over the place, but who isn't? And I think I use a different voice. I've had to learn with my children. The tone of my voice is very important. My, my wife has taught me this. We've done, you know, counselors for children. And the tone that I use isn't, e- I'm not even aware of it, but where I'm thinking of it as disciplinary and 
let's do this, let's get to bed, you know, and they're viewing it as as very mean and angry. And that is their impression of it. But it, it made me very conscious, not even my voice and my words, but the tone of my voice. And that's something that I've been made aware of. I didn't do it myself. I was made aware of it. And I, I, I realized now with my buddies, I yell and scream and have a bunch. Of, I'm the loudest guy there. And I think, you know, with Scott, you it's okay to tone down your voice in an office with someone because that's kind of what they're expecting. Um, but it doesn't mean that we we need to be one way all the time. So that's how I view with voice. And if you talk about voice, I everyone, Jessica, it was, it was an honor being on your show. And I just love what you're doing and, and your voice and breakthrough. And I, I talk about what Jessica is doing on her show as a segue into the second part around voice. Um, and we need more voices like Jessica and Oleg and Scott and everyone because the second point around voice is this idea of how do you use your voice to when it comes to intention, when it comes to aspiration. And I view it that way is that I am only who I am because there's a contrast. We only see the foreground because we see the background, right? We only know we walk because there's something to walk on. There's a floor. There's a So we've had this discussion about relativity and duality. But my, so I use my voice, whether it's my writing or even coming on here or volunteering. Um, if I take time on a Saturday to help someone out with something, that's still my voice. And I think I'm using that to, to help and, and to really be of service, which sounds very Mother Teresa-ish, but really what it is, is I realize that it one can actually tactically help someone on a Saturday. They need X, Y, Z done. I think at a broader sense, it enables me to use my voice to not only help someone else, but also for me to continue to find who I am. Because if I'm volunteering for someone or giving advice or really just like I did with my son, going to Japantown in San Francisco and going to the origami store and for two hours, just being around him as he just relished in, in with all these origamists, which he's into, um, you know, that's a way that not only do I help my son develop, but I also, I also further develop myself. Mm -hmm. You know, you bring up a, a really good point. I, th I think goes directly to Dorothy's comment here where she points out that my coaching voice is different from my singing voice or the volleyball yeah. when I'm cheering. And I, I think that's a, it's such a profound point because I do think that there is a tendency to be consistent across the board and have that kind of the same voice all the way across when the reality of the matter is not all of those layers are applicable according to the situation. Like it, right. uh, being Thankfully. a, you know, angry high school coach at a halftime where your team is down is probably not the best voice to use with your kids who are trying to go to bed. And thankfully Scott didn't tamp, uh, temper tamp, um, uh, lower his voice, forget the word, lower his voice in our podcast. We want him to be loud here, but I could see, unfortunately, people being told in an off in situation A, don't talk so loud and someone being made self-conscious and then not being themselves in other situations. Mm -hmm. um, Mr. Mason, you're, you're muted. Your voice is muted. At your voice is muted. <laughs> Nothing worse than having my voice suppressed by a mute button. 
Jessica, since you mentioned my girl, Donna Summer, you might, and you talked about the melody that we all create together. I would love for you to listen to and love her song, if you don't already, Melody of Love, because that's what it is all about when great voices come together in unison. Let's, though, talk a little bit about, if we, if I may, Oleg, how did you discover your own voice? Because one of the things that's interesting, and I've heard about it with regards to you, as well as observed it myself, which is that you very much have a distinctive voice of your own, not just voices and point of view, but a vocal style that you choose to not particularly veer that far from in your shows. It's a very consistent approach. And are you the same Oleg in different situations than what we see right now? Yes, except that when it's heated arguments. But um, <laughs> across the board, so the reason why I choose this particular style of voice is because this voice aligns closest to what my version of inner peace feels like and looks like. So I, I think for me, and I think maybe there's some elements of my past that, that are also influencing this, but oftentimes I had a difficult time being in situations where let's say like, um, having a similar volume that you do, Scott, to you, it, you know, it's a normal one to me, just based on my own past and, um, living in different systems and being screamed at a lot, mm. having a louder volume meant aggression, meant anger, meant, um, stress, frustration, discomfort, all these mm. things. So I think what I've consciously done probably over however many years leading up to today is I made sure that I, I didn't use those ranges that often because they oftentimes associated with, with X, Y, and Z, which it's not always the case. It just kind of, if anything, I think it speaks to the point of how influential the past truly can be if given the, the power of what it is. So I, I use this type of voice because that what, that's what allows me to stay at peace or that's what I think allows me to stay at peace. And I don't really think about it that often. I don't think about the the range as much. I kind of just speak it and, and it comes out the way that it does. Do either of you or anyone watching or listening consider where in your body the voice is coming from and the impact of that? So, for instance, my tendency is to speak from my diaphragm. Sometimes I'll speak from my chest, but it's very rare. It's usually from my diaphragm. And I almost never use a head voice. Oleg, I hear actually you having a significant head voice, which isn't surprising because you're very cerebral. Casey, your voice seems to sometimes go between chest and head. And that also may or may not be symbolic of your orientation. Do you all think, and I hope I'm not taking over the show, like I'm, I'm genuinely curious because I do feel that how and the ways in which we utilize our voice as part of the whole body, intention notwithstanding, can have a huge impact on whether we use it to uplift, bring down, or simply project or pull away. No, 
Oh, like I think Scott's taking over the show, but we expect that. Scott, it's a fantastic question. And Dorothy just wrote in a fantastic question too, which I wanna which I wanna get to as well. Um, but Scott, to your point, I've never thought of it that way. And I it, what the first thing that came to my mind was when you exercise or lift weights, you know, breathing is so important. And even if you do uh, even a lightweight, you want to have your form, your back straight and so on. But, you know, you want to breathe in as you come down with the weight and you want to breathe out as you're exerting and pushing it out. And how often do we hold our breath? We're not even thinking about it. Right. So I've never you can still get the weight up, but it makes it more difficult. And I haven't thought about where my voice is coming from. I'm feeling it right now. I, I, I feel my heart the chest, I'm feeling my heart. A lot of it comes from my mind. I think when I'm with two people in particular, uh, it gets very, it's from the gut, the diaphragm, because we're laughing to two of my good friends. Um, but yeah, that that is really eye-opening for me. And I'm going to be as much as I can conscious of where that's, because that's huge. That is really huge what you just brought up. Do either of you believe that silence is a type of voice? So I want to jump in on this. I, this is a beautiful question, Dorothy. And where to go back to the duality. So yes, it's part of it. And the way I say that is because if you think of sound, sound is life is on off, right? There's life and death. There's up and down. There's Dodgers giants, right? Um, Giants are on, Dodgers are off. We're up five games, fantastic season this year, but I won't go there. Um, but where, but when you think of sound, sound is not, and music, think of your favorite song. It's not just when you hear the sound and the vibration, but sound is also the non-hearing. Because if you have a song that's just sound, then it's one long sound. But it's, you need the space in between. And I think to answer the question, is silence a voice? I think it's, it's part of the voice because when I speak, that pause, that silence is part of it. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to discern what I'm actually auditorily saying or verbally saying and you auditorily receiving or at a broader sense, if the voice we're talking about is a message if you're not hearing the silence and the space in between the actual vibrations of the message, you're not hearing it all. So I think silence is not a voice. I think it's part of the voice and us realizing that a voice is on and off enables us to understand the nuance, understand the beauty, but most importantly, understand what's actually being able, being communicated uh, by someone. Mr. Mason, what do you have to say to that? I'll let you know whether I think silence is a voice or not, when I decide you're good enough to answer. <laughs> oh boy, this is a real life example. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh. Hell yeah, silence is a voice. <laughs> yeah, you nailed that one on the head, Dorothy, seriously. As my mother, she's an expert at speaking very loudly by saying nothing. Bam. You know, but there's two things here that's come up. One is silence is not saying anything. 
mm-hmm. which I think maybe Dorothy was getting at, but it's the, I'm not going to say anything. So I'm saying something. I'm giving you a message by me not saying anything. And then there's the other element is that within our communications, silence is part of the cadence. Right there, the the silence is in between the sounds. So um, interesting. There's two there's two kind of elements of where silence plays, whether as a direct message or more of as a nuance as part of the overall message. Silence can increase the drama. William Shatner is notorious for that in Star Trek and everything he's done. He's a big old ham. And why is that? Because he has an, an excess, some would say, of the dramatic pause. And in fact, when you learn to speak publicly, part of the art of real expertise, public speaking, is knowing when to be silent. My grandpa used to do, he was, he was one of the individuals that I think really helped me realize the importance of silence when it comes to speaking. And the reason why is because here was a man for, I think the 10 to 12 years that I've known him, maybe a little bit shorter than that in his, in his lifetime, where all he had to say was just one sentence, one word, and it somehow communicated everything that I was about to ask which was going to going to be a series of questions. So I find that fascinating how certain people, and I don't know what really contributes to it. I don't know if it's experience or what other influences play a role there, but certain people can use language in such a interesting way where just the use of a single word or a single sentence communicates everything or even taking a long pause and using body language as a form of voice to communicate whatever it is that they're trying to do also achieves the same objective, achieves the same goal. Oh, Scott, you're silent. Thank you. Me and that silence today. I don't know what's happening. One of the best days of my life was a day that my husband and I spent in Dublin. And we literally just got up went to a coffee shop in the morning. We maybe had lunch, then we went back to the coffee shop and we sat there all day in silence, just watching people go by, looking at the newspaper, looking at each other, then watching people. And there was exactly what Dorothy was talking about, that connection through silence. It was a beautiful thing. But silence, let's not forget, only has meaning if it's surrounded by noise, and if that noise has cadence. So too much silence, I would argue, is sort of like too much screaming. After a while, it just loses its impact and it becomes a default sort of norm that's in the background every bit as much as being too loud all the time. If someone is silent all the time, By the time they open their mouths, people may not be interested in listening. You know, what's interesting for me is when I think about the world, like we use our voice a lot. And I know that's an obvious statement, but is when you think about what goes on when we work, the meetings, the Zoom calls, 
the meeting in the boardrooms when, when we were or will be back in the office, the on TV, hey, can you get on a chat? Let's talk this through. And some of the meetings are useful and you know, and some are not. But I'm just thinking about how do you use your voice? When you think about what we do day to day, productivity from nine to five, it's just a bunch of talking. It's just a bunch of meeting. And maybe I'm, I don't know, I just want to throw it out there. I mean, what are we trying to accomplish? We're productive, you know, Wall Street wants results. We want results. We have a to-do list. But, you know, a lot of life is really about just, just kind of talking. And it just hit me. Like, we're just using our voice all the time. And that's what we sort of go throughout the day. And sometimes it's productive and we feel good. And other times it's not. But, boy, we're just using our voice a lot. Well, that being said, though, that goes as to the write-up for this very episode. And I just want to take a quick second and say hello to Steve Gamlin, who is talking in the comments about learning to use his voice, who is being the noise. You might describe yourself as being the noise, but Steve, my brother, I consider the words that come out of your mouth to be music. Mm. Now, let's talk a little bit about what you were saying with regards to talking all the time perhaps there comes a point where there's too much chatter and it ends up becoming like the excessive use of silence or screaming i mentioned a few minutes ago just a wall of nothing however in the write-up we pointed out that in the bible at least in the new testament the universe itself was created through the use of a voice yeah mm-hmm. god said or he uttered the word and that word was creation. Right. And I, I see it because I'll never, I was on my phone. I'm walking around the house. I it wasn't a video call. I'm talking to myself on my headset. And my daughter came in. I got off the phone. And she says, what do you, what were you doing? I was like, oh, I was working. And she says, working? You've literally been talking on the phone all day, walking around the house. I said, yeah, that's, that's my, and I walked away saying, that's how I make money. Like, that's what I do. I mean, the image of my, my kids look, they're like, dad just talks all day. Uh, and it just, no judgment. It's just, that's what we do. And I know there's other industries where they're not talking a lot and they do other things, but now that we're working from home and there's so many of us who are information workers and we work through the internet and so on, but no, either that I just was thinking like, we literally use our voice. If I lost my voice, or had a throat problem, I I don't know. It would it's like being injured on the job. We just we just talk all day. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's interesting that the two of you brought up is <clears throat> because I'm in the similar boat as I guess all three of us, as well as Jessica and Steve and Dorothy, and that's using our voice to be able to achieve whatever the things that we try to do. I'm the same exact way over a course of a day. I don't know how many hours I am doing a podcast or having a conversation, but at the same time, like those are the things that I enjoy. Those are the things that uh, fire me up. Those are the things that give me the motivation to keep going, but it is fascinating to take a step back and look at it through the lens of what am I really doing? (laughs) How is this actually helping me achieve whatever it is that I'm inspiring to achieve? Well, let us not forget while we're on the topic of creation, that if you take the stories in the Bible literally, which I don't, but if you take them literally, animals used to have voices and the voice of a snake, which was beautiful and made persuasive arguments, was what brought down the human race. 
And there is a metaphor there that we haven't really explored, but those that talk for a living who really understand the power, the subtlety, and the risks associated with voice have. And that is the power to slide people towards their destruction. Musical instruments, the Pied Piper, right? He Pied Pipered the children of the village away right off the cliff. It wasn't his voice. It was his voice as expressed through the vehicle of a musical instrument, but it's the same concept. And how do we know when, if, and how we are using our voice to that same very dangerous effect? Well, it's a, I love that you wrote in the write-up the, the word, and, and Dorothy wrote in the word made flesh. What's interesting here, to your point, Scott, is that it wasn't the a word is a noun. So a word is in our concept. The, there's no word in the natural wor world. There's no word. Word is a concept. W-R-A-D is a concept, right? And I know I'm getting granular here, but my point is that the word created the world, but it wasn't the word. It was the vibration of it. It was the feeling it elicited. So it's ironic here that we're talking about words creating when really it's the non-word. It was the it was the intention. It was the love. It was the energy. It was the vibration. And so when we think about the written word or the spoken word, for me, what's important is, as we mentioned early when we kick this off, is what's behind it. And if you do take the Old and New Testament and we talk about, I think this is really the difference. Was God in the word a, mon a monarchical king who is full of wrath? Because many of us live that life today full of anxiety that we've done something wrong and that we better hope God doesn't get mad at us. Or was the energy behind the word love and everything's fine? Because I think a lot of the anxiety we have nowadays and our worry and our self-loathing is because too many of us fall under the fact that God is a king. Um, basilica comes from the Greek word basil, which means ruler and king. I mean, that's what the word basilica means, house of the king. So the energy behind the word is extremely important. And whether it's, do you think the energy behind the word was wrathful God or loving God? Because that literally defines your worldview. And if you wake up on a Wednesday, whether you feel anxious and love yourself or whether you, whether you feel anxious and hate yourself or whether you feel anxious and love yourself, but also day to day, the power of my word is going to define for my child, whether they think daddy's angry or he's not. What do you even mean when you say vibrations? The universe talks in vibrations. What we don't is talk a vibration? What is it? What you just said so a vibration is resonance between one entity in the world, one thing and another. So when my hand hits the leather on a drum, that connection, that action creates a resonance that then creates vibrations. So if you take a rock, rock, we think of rocks as just these dumb, stupid things. But if you, rocks have resonance, rocks have intelligence. If you hit a rock or you hit another rock on one rock, you'll hear the... That is a very, um, very minor resonance, but it's a resonance nonetheless. Vibration is how this is, vibration is how the universe communicates. We humans don't don't hear it, but that's why animals can sense earthquakes. I'm in California. That's why animals can sense earthquakes before before we do. The internet is a vibration. TV is a vibration. There's nothing to see. 
-hmm. But that vibration comes to our ear and it hits our drum, the eardrum, and that resonance then creates meaning. So it's really the energy behind the, the word and that creates our worldview. Because if you believe God is beautiful and full of love, think about what you'll accomplish in the world. If you think God is wrathful and his word is going to send you to damnation, you're going to be taking pills. Well, but the problem I have with that is that the intention behind a word, if we agree that the universe is vibration and the intention is what is what ultimately governs the impact of that vibration, the problem is none of us have control or even full understanding of the intent of another. So the intent may be hateful, but I may take it with love. God may be wrathful and have, and have created this universe because he wanted a punching bag, but I may appreciate it so much, I take it as love. And what that says to me is that the vibrations may not be concomitant. And if they're not concomitant, then to what extent is communication really governed by, by the vibrations and not by, as some other people might posit, our own purely mythical interpretation of mm. what is going on around us, vibrations or not? Well, that's right. Like Exactly. So my point is not that it's God's intention. It's my interpretation of God's intention. And if I listen to the to the man in the blue in the black robe in the basilica who wants God to be mon to, to be a monarch and wants me to interpret God's voice as coming from a male with a white beard, if I listen to that person enough, I'm gonna view it that way. What if, on the other hand, we believe that we are choosing the interpretation of that? That, uh, that the, the, oh, I'm sorry, that we have the power to interpret the vibration as we see fit and therefore create our own reality, but an external factor comes in and smashes it down. Let's say all of our lives we've been sitting here talking about the vibration of the universe as the expression of the voice of God and saying, okay, we choose to believe this, we choose to believe that. I choose for the impact of the voice to be what it is on me to fear or to be non-fearful and to live my life accordingly only to find out that actually my thinking about God's intention was wrong. He really is pissed and comes down like a monarch with a steel hammer on my insolent little, you know what, how would that square away with what you're saying? Because if you view, if you view the word, the energy of the world, in that way, he'll never come down with you on a with a hammer. Who says? You say. Mm -hmm. You're on mute, Scott. What I'm saying is that isn't it entirely possible that just because I say or feel something, that doesn't mean the way that's necessarily the way it really is. Yes, it does. Well, yes, it, your, where does I that think stop? It's your, I think it's your belief. I, I think if anything, kind of going back to the earlier point about when we were talking about um whether or not it's simply an aspiration or a myth that we create as far as my vibration being the same as your vibration and the next person and the next person's, I think there is, a, so in my opinion, I think it's in, yes, I think there is, it's a belief. I, I don't think there is anything tangible to grasp about it. I think it's a belief that I have that if I put out this tone of energy, that the chances of me meeting a similar energy are going to be higher 
I, I, I think so. That's the first thing that comes to mind. I don't think there is anything really tangible about it. I, yes, you could say previous experiences are the things that are tangible, but not all previous experiences are 100% accurate to proving that point. Sometimes I'll have the best of intentions. I'll go out there, I'll meet whoever, and they have a complete opposite energy. So then I'm faced with, well, did I attract this or was this just one of those quote unquote random situations? So I, I, I agree with um, both of you on a couple of points, but I do think that there's a choice. There's a choice that I could make as an individual as far as how I use my voice and what the vibrations that I put out there. The difficult part about that is what you were, I think, hinting towards, Scott, and that's you don't know what you're going to receive in return. You don't know how that vibration is going to meet another vibration and how that's going to create a larger symphony, so to speak. So that's where I, I think there's probably just an unknowing to life. Where you, well, yes, you don't, know I, you don't know. I appreciate that. And I think the other challenge that I have around it as well, and that is one that I, I, I face as in conceptualizing this. And, mm -hmm. and again, it goes as to the power of our voice or not directly, which is to what extent are we, as a matter of survival, overestimating our ability to create impactful vibrations at all because we can't see ourselves objectively we don't know the whole truth we don't know the limits of our own intellect or of our own perceptive abilities and so saying that to me there's a big slippery slope that is, well, if I say that the conceptions that I have of the universe can um, can vibrate can vibrate out and lead to certain impacts, how do I know exactly where that stops? And how do I know exactly what is, to what extent then that can be extrapolated out into other things? So for instance, my voice is the product if I'm speaking about many things, it can be the product of a belief system or an ethical system. Mm -hmm. And I may believe, for instance, that COVID-19 doesn't exist. And mm -hmm. I can create all sorts of, and my intent is good. Mm -hmm. And I walk out and interact in the world accordingly. But some bad stuff can happen. Where do we stop and say that the belief that we have about the nature of the universe ends? And the hard reality of what's out there begins. That's what I don't understand, what I don't have clarity around, and where I think is a risk when it comes to thinking about the impact of our voice. Well, so Shakespeare said there's nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. That is, it's your perception, it's your perspective. So then you would say, well, the whole world relative? Yeah. We can put objective guardrails into the world so that we can act. Hammurabi had their code. Thomas Jefferson gave us a code here in America. There's all these different codes that, that we have, and we have them in a family. Uh, some families eat dinner at 6.30 p.m. on the dot. Come to my house, a little less discipline to my chagrin, but hey, you know, I like to think I'm the boss here. So everyone's got different codes, but it's all relative and it's all what we think. So if I want to think a certain word, a certain tone is a certain way, 
I'm going to think that I'm going to feel that. And that says more about me than it does the person. If I want to think God is wrathful, I'm going to think that and feel that and, and create my life that way. Um, if I want to think God is loving, then I'll do that. And that goes to the point that I, that I think we talked about earlier where someone wise said, you know, the second half of my life is unlearning most or all of what I learned in the first half. And so for me, when it comes to the word and the energy behind it, Scott, I think for me, this comes down to a choice that I want to make. And not that I want to be a bliss ninny, but I do want to view the world in a different way than I have viewed it in the past because it wasn't necessarily beneficial to me. And I want to view my voice and my words, what I can do, and also have folks who, what they say to me in, in a different way. My struggle has been that the world is a cold place, is still clinging to my ankle at 47 years old because I want to believe and be an identity in the world where love is abundant and the world is great and I can do anything I set my mind to. But that little, the world is wrathful, um, still grabs onto me, uh, less and less so. But that's my my struggle with the voices that that I listen to. And that struggle of the voices I listen to impacts how I use my voice. And mm -hmm. less and less am I a wrathful voice and more and more am I a loving voice. And I think the that was not the case in my at 18 and 28 and 35, but I've shifted since then. And um, my kids still remember when I when I was too loud or yelled when they were younger. And yeah, you know, heck, that was 10 years ago. Cut me some slack, right? But they're kids, they can do it. But I know for myself that that progress that I've made from from a voice that wasn't beneficial to me to, to one that is now. But it, it was a choice. And some people don't want choice. Even the, if the even if the life they live and the voice they listen to is wrathful and mean, that's still sometimes easier for them than making the choice themselves. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I'll add on and expand upon what you just mentioned, Casey, and you mentioned this numerous conversations over time, it's that the desire to need to know things, the desire to need to know the ultimate truth. I'm, it's a difficult one. I think I'm definitely a work in progress when it comes to it. But one of the things that I'm trying to do more and more of is really letting go of that desire, letting go of the need that there is this ultimate truth that I'll find once upon a time, because I don't think I ever will. And I don't think the, and the reason why I don't think I'll ever will find the ultimate truth or the ultimate definition to impact or whether or not my actions matter or anything like that is because everything is relative your definition of impact is different compared to my definition of impact. Your interpretation of COVID is different than my interpretation of COVID due to the fact that we had different experiences. And that's where I think it, it's also an interesting question in regard to this concept of a voice. How do we create a space for all voices and perspectives to be heard for what they are without having to dominate other voices in order to project a reality that is true to you, but may not be true to someone else. I, there are, ex there are certain exceptions. Yeah. I know you're going to go down that, down that, uh, rabbit hole, Scott. And I, I respect, um, I respect that because I think it's, you know, it's murder or like some of these other instances, like I, I get it where, um, certain voices may have to be louder than let's say the, you know, the collective, 
in, in certain situations. But I, I also find interesting that there are certain instances where I feel like the voices simply aren't being heard because the desire to project one's reality is so great, which then I think begs the question is why do some or most of us or all of us really have that need to control our existence when the reality of the matter is I don't believe we can control any of it. I mean, you can't control your next breath. You don't know when you're going to take it. You don't know how you're going to take it. And yet it's the most pivotal part to you being alive right now. It goes as to one of the most profound things about being alive, which is the ever present existential uncertainty of continued existence. In my opinion, that's what drives the need to control. Why it's so gratifying, because we can't accept that. We, mm -hmm. almost everyone cannot accept that. Mm -hmm. And the voice is a way to, and it's a way that all of us, even those who can't physically speak, if they can write, have to be able to put some stability around that fundamental existential angst through a means of control. So, and I think, and I know we're winding down, but I think that that angst and that need to control comes from because we've listened to a voice that told us that we're separate from the world and that the world is cold and therefore we need to control it and we need to be aggressive. We're very aggressive in America. And whether it's a Puritan ethic or capitalism, I don't know what's causing it, but it's a real insecurity. And we humans went to the top of the food chain 100,000 years ago really quickly because our brains developed uh, a lot faster over time, over millions of years, but still a lot faster than, than other animals. And we jumped with our spears from, from being eaten by saber-toothed tigers to using our culture and our language and our strategy to, to ultimately killing them. But we're still very insecure um, and we see it and we're very aggressive. That's why productivity and capitalism, which, which I believe in, but um, you know, just uh, the winner takes all. I mean, we're very aggressive and we're that way to earth. I mean, that's why we just, con why the wild conquer the world, conquer space. I mean, you have Bezos and, and the Virgin guy going up into space to, to conquer. I mean, we're still doing it. We're conquering worlds. And so, but that's because we're afraid of it. And the words we've listened to is the wrathful that we want, or if we're not afraid of it, we want to please our King. We want to please God. We want to please it. And those are the words we're, we're listening to. And so if we listened to different words and didn't have to conquer the earth and just let go do you know how much more energy we would save? So I snuck into Cuba many years ago and this isn't recorded, right? No one knows this. I went <laughs> into Cuba and literally during Fidel, they had policemen on every corner to keep everyone in line. Do you know how expensive that is to have actual physical policemen just looking everywhere? And now you can do it with cameras, but it's still expensive because Fidel was, he was so scared because he knew he was wrong. He knew he was wrong. I'm not saying Batista before him was right. I'm just saying Fidel knew that he was suppressing and he was trying to control the wild, which was his people. Mm -hmm. And so my point is this need for control, this aggressive voice we all have as a collective, 
why are we doing this? I know why we're doing it because we feel insecure. Why don't we have more confidence and faith in the beauty and love in the world and just let this go? Whether it's dealing with your kids and disciplining or whether it's how do we, how do we build new houses somewhere? But the fact that we have to dig up and kill so much takes so much energy. Um, but that's the voice that is overriding. And like to your point about the voices we use, I think, unfortunately, uh, the voices we use in the media, in the world is, is extremely aggressive. But I think that's really hiding um, a widespread insecurity. Where can people find out and learn more about what you are voicing into this world? Thank you, Oleg. Um, leave law behind. So I help unhappy attorneys to leave the legal industry and jobs they don't like and to uh, find dream careers um, outside of the law. LeaveLawBehind.com. And Scott Mason, what about you? Oh, you're, you're, you need to amplify your voice. Oh my gosh, this thing. How can I get myself to remember to press that unmute button? I'm driving myself crazy doing that. Thank you for your patience with me, everybody. Take a ride with me down the purpose highway. The future is changing. We're living through a revolution of thought right now, the silent revolution. Find out more about it and how your spirituality, purpose, and ethics can move into the future purposehighway.com mm. i want to thank the two of you for being a part of it i want to thank jessica and everyone else that's listening and that is if you've enjoyed or enjoyed any of the previous conversations or this one um if you would consider supporting our work by either leaving us a review through facebook linkedin itunes wherever you can find us but Outside of that, I'll just say it was it, the thank you to the two of you and everyone else that cho chose to join today. This was very profound and so much more to explore. I think when it comes to this topic, one of the questions that I, I know I was left with was, and this is a topic for another conversation, but in regard to voices and, and thinking about how long certain voices carry on, where does that desire come from? Why is knowing that your voice may not outlive you. Why is that not enough? So that I just, I think there's so much to explore within that. And I, I look forward to upcoming conversations, but I just want to thank the two of you. I want to thank Jessica and Dorothy and everyone else that's been a part of this. So thank you for creating the space. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next time.